Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of Fan Fuel, a podcast that fuels talk about motorsports. We're your hosts Alex Harrington and Nathan Ball and today we'll be talking about the races that happened this weekend at Homestead as well as racing that went on down under. But our main topic of today is NASCAR's race procedures and how they've evolved over time. So let's just jump into it. Nathan, we only saw two series this weekend. We didn't get to see the trucks. I think everyone's disappointed about that, but I can say that Saturday's show with the Xfinity cars was absolutely insane. What did you see? Xfinity cars at Homestead pretty much never disappoint. Obviously, low downforce package is a lot better than what you see on Sunday, so I just don't know how you're going to top Xfinity. Yeah, they were four and five wide at some points on those restarts, and that's something that was something we hadn't seen really before, even in the series finale when they had it there, even there in the championship four era. Um, that was that was a wild race, and you know I I would not have picked Myatt Snyder to win that race going into into the weekend. No, absolutely not. I had everything riding on uh, Gregson for that week, so... I think Gregson had everything yeah, riding on Yeah, I'm not sure Gregson. what to say about that one. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty much the worst luck I've ever seen, bar none. Yeah, and you're referencing the incident where the 13 Whataburger car of David Starr seemed to have popped a tire or something and got close to, if not in the fence, causing Gregson just to slam into him, and... You and a bunch of other people uh, were saying stuff on Twitter and about it, and your tweet was, if the car is clearly unable to stay on the lead lap, they should be respectful and yield. And, you know, I replied to you saying that we were going to get into it when we recorded the podcast because at the time um, I'm thinking everyone's overreacting because his tire failed, blah, 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 blah. But even if it didn't, saying something like that, I I don't necessarily agree with. So you want to kind of explain to everyone – what what you were meaning when you said what you said in the tweet? Yeah, exactly. Um, first of all, David Starr didn't do anything wrong there. He was obviously yielding before the tire either recorded or went down completely. So I don't fault what he did there, but there were other lap cars that they noticed on the broadcast. They even talked about it, such as um, I want to say the 48 that was pretty much parking in the top lane even though the leader made it pretty clear that that's the lane they were going to stick to, they just stayed there for multiple corners and they, they cost the leader chunks of time. And it's, that's where I kind of have a problem. I'm not saying that they can't fight for their, their lap, but there's ways to do that without completely being a nuisance. If that makes any sense, like they don't have to make it that difficult. Yeah. From a, from a perspective of, of someone who officiates, um, it's a bit different in the different situations you're talking about. So just off the off the first, uh, off the bat, um, with the 48 car staying in the high lane, which is the preferred lane, that's fine. You know, if you're a driver and you stay in your lane and I know exactly what you're going to do, I'm not going to have any problems passing you. If I do have any problems passing you as a lead lap car, as a car that's lapping you, I need to get better because when I'm on the flag stand or in the tower, I'm going to show you the blue and yellow flag, or I should say the blue flag with the yellow stripe on it, which is the move over flag. But we really don't show that to people for move over. Uh, Usually uh, I'll throw that flag and whoever's in the tower will 
say, all right, you know, number 48, hold your line. Because that's what the leader expecting them to do on at least the dirt short tracks that I've worked at. Um, but even then, some series that I've worked with don't allow me to use the move over flag. And, and it's lap cars to get around a lapped car and they don't even know that that leader is coming. So for me, that part of the equation is those drivers staying put is exactly what they should do. That makes sense. I agree with that. I, I don't mind picking the lane and choosing it. The real problem is when they, they seem to lack the awareness when they kind of weave around, they don't pick a lane or indecisive either. In, I don't know if indecisive or unaware would be a better word for it. So that's the well, problem. I mean, it's going to depend on the situation. Yeah. And, and, and the biggest, the, the biggest thing with that is it, it, it's going to depend on what's happening. If you're a couple laps down and you're all over the place, you're in the wrong. If you are on the tail end of the lead lap and you're, you're trying to keep your position a la Newman at Bristol when he got into Domenedetto trying to stay on the lead lap, that's fair game. Um, fight if you're not on the lead lap anymore. But I can agree with you that if you're being erratic, if you can't seem to stay in a rhythm, if you're going to turn three low and then the next lap you go mid and then the next lap you go low and the next lap you go high, the leader's spotter is not going to know where to tell them to go. And that's probably going to make these issues even worse. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that was kind of interesting is if you look at it from like a road racing perspective, the move over flags and the passing flags are used a lot more over there because it's much more difficult to get around at some tracks. Oh, yeah. And you look at the incident in Brazil in 2018 with uh, Esteban Ocon, he was, he had just gotten a set of fresh tires and he was a lap down, right? He, all he had to do was go and lap himself, which usually is not that big of a, a big of a deal, but the way he did it was a big deal because the leader who was Verstappen at the time, they were coming into turn one through the little Senna S area and, and the problem with that, there was an entire straightaway after that corner to where Ocon could have just got around him simply without any problem, but he stuck it in there in the corner and took Verstappen out, and that's the real problem. You know, I don't know uh, specifically what Esteban was thinking, uh, but most guys, you're going to know who those drivers are that are going to push the limit, and it's kind of up to both drivers to be not at fault if that makes sense so if if i'm verstappen in this situation and i know Ocon is is going to do something like that because he's got a track record of that not saying that he does but just for an example i also need to know that hey um fresh tires are coming he's faster than me and he's super aggressive i need i need to let him through so that something stupid doesn't happen so i can protect the lead that i have and i can you know finish this race and get the win so I don't I, I don't know. It it's a very sticky subject to get into because each situation is different, but I feel, you know, the general consensus was a lot of hate towards the 13 and the 48 when I didn't think it was necessarily either of those guys fault for their respective issues. 
Well, I guess let me preface with the Ocon incident is that I remember after that race, a lot of people were faulting Verstappen. They're saying, oh, he, he turned in on Ocon and all that stuff. But I don't even think Verstappen knew that Ocon was going to do that. Because in, if you're thinking logically as a leader with the guy with the fresh tires behind you, you're, you're not thinking that they're going to do something stupid like that. You're thinking, okay, they have an entire 3,000 foot straightaway in DRS to do that. What if they just wait one corner? They could prevent all those problems, yeah. and that's I, I think that's where that's where the issues came in as to whether you know the lab cars they still have to make smart decisions at the end of the day, even if they're trying to protect themselves. Yeah, and and I'm not gonna say that Max had a lapse in judgment for that particular case, but I'd say there's not a single incident where it's 100% someone's fault, except for maybe the Martinsville incident where Matt Kenseth took out Joey Logano. You know, everything is is kind of an ebb and flow between who did what because the things that caused them to come together was probably a bit of both worlds. Because, you know, even though he was in the lead, I'd say, you know, he's got to be, I don't know, a little more attentive or something like well, that? Well, I don't know if it was lack of attention. Right, but I don't think it was be him being inattentive. I think it was just the fact that no one logically expects that. They usually plan for other driver to be sensible, and usually you don't plan for a lap car to be that aggressive because I don't think it's ever been seen up before because where he was trying to pass was a very difficult place to pass, and with the long straightaway after that, too, the fact that, you know, hey, he could have waited was definitely there. And then he tried to wedge it down the inside of a disappearing gap. And thinking about that, the only outcomes are if Max either literally has to completely go off the track to avoid hitting him, which I don't think the leader should be forced to do or get taken out. There's no, there was pretty much nothing that. He could have yeah. done there unless he had some sort of, you know, unless he had eyes in the back of his head that made him think, oh, I know he's going to do that. But obviously yeah. the same thing happened at the truck race at the road course with um, whoever was driving Jordan Anderson's truck. I don't want to name names. Honestly, I, I don't remember who was driving that truck. I just remember yeah. it said, I heart mac and cheese. And I yep. was very disappointed when it didn't do good because I do heart mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah, and apparently he liked so. – uh, Taking out the leader too. I don't know. Um, we're we're talking about national level series drivers um, and an in- international sport that's supposed to be the the upper echelon, if not the top tier motorsport. And mistakes like this happen, and you know, emotion and stuff like that come into th- to to cloud judgments um, of of stuff like that. So, I mean. I'm not going to fault Ocon based on trying to go for it, but also that was really stupid, you know, like especially if if armchair racers like, like yourself and myself can sit there and say, hey, you know, after you get out of the Senna S's, you're going to have a really good launch onto a DRS straight. Maybe you should have chilled out, you know, that that's saying something about that particular decision. Not saying that he's a bad driver because, right. you know. He's, he's obviously a good driver. Damn good one. Yeah, otherwise he wouldn't be there. Uh, well, maybe maybe that was a, a good statement a couple of years ago, but I don't know. Money's kind of 
kind of getting into everything now to where pay drivers are more of a thing in Formula One. So I don't, I don't, I don't even know about that statement. But I mean, he's uh, definitely I guess, on merit. Like he was, yeah, didn't really have family money growing up. He's, I would consider him probably the last driver to not have like big money. Yeah, him, you know, him coming in, and I know Verstappen and his dad, um being a Formula One racer previously and, and doing his stuff kind of got his foot in the door as as well. But those two guys are really rugged racers, and I like that because they're kind of grittier than the rest of the grid um, on in Formula One because some of those guys seem like, like they don't want to have those fights and those battles. And, and those two push the guys that are ahead of them a lot, um, whether that's, uh, you know, a midfield battle or taking on Hamilton and Botas each week like Max does. So, yeah, but moving on to Sunday, um, it was a, it was a great cup race. I think you and I both called it. Um, we had long runs. We had few yellows, um, a little bit of pit strategy, comers and goers. I mean, I mean, how, how did you feel about the race? Because I thought it was a fairly decent for the most part. I enjoyed the cup race quite a bit. Um, by 550 horsepower standards, it's probably one of the better races since the introduction of this package. Um, it didn't. There were times where it didn't feel like a 550 race, and that's what made me like it a lot more than normal. Um, obviously, so yes, I'm there's wondering... still some problems, but go ahead. No, yeah. What you were saying, like, I'm wondering if if that's uh, just because it was Homestead and the sun was out for most of that race, if that's why it was so good, or if maybe this season that the teams have had, you know, two years to couple with this package, like, maybe they've, maybe they've got enough information where everyone's kind of on a similar playing field, and maybe this momentum goes through next week at Las Vegas and that's what I hoped for because this is basically this was basically the beginning of our sort of normalcy of NASCAR yeah um it's definitely a mix of both though I would be careful because I think there are some teams obviously at the beginning of the year that start really strong and then there are teams that do really well toward the end of the season there's some that do really well in the middle um which is I guess Hendrick they always seem to start years well same goes for Penske. That wasn't really the case yesterday, but and then Gibbs is kind of the the one that takes a little bit longer to get going. If that makes any sense, so I think that there's a lot of yeah. ebb and flow, and it's still going to happen. Yeah, and then you've also got something that I thought was interesting is you've got a couple of Ford teams that I don't know if they're getting more support from you know Ford now or, or what's going on. But you've had a you had a couple of four teams a resurgence with Roush the six and the seventeen did really well. Busher won the stage, and McDowell has somehow stayed. I think is he in fourth for the point standings now? Still, um, I, I he's I, the only I, other uh, driver besides Harvick to get a top ten every week. He's killing it for front row standards. He yeah, I think this is by far the best performance that team's ever had. We'll have to look at his age and see if he's 39 or not because I think the guys at Positive Regression will be very happy if he was um, because he's doing outstanding. And, and the 17 really showed out for me. And, 
you know, I know that Newman's in his, you know, I guess maybe not swung on season, but he's getting close to that point. He did way better than I expected, especially on the mile and a half where I don't think they were very good the past couple of seasons. Yeah, something was with that team as a whole route. Um, I don't know whether it's just them capitalizing on the early season kind of chaos, if that makes sense, but or we'll have to see the next few mile and a half to see how long, whether or not this is just a one-time thing or whether or not it's like a real game that, that can be sustained. Yeah, and we got a couple more coming up, and Vegas and Atlanta are more of the exciting side of the mile and a half. Vegas should be okay this weekend. It's usually a decent show, and then Atlanta is getting to the point where it's a little bit aged to put on a good show, but it still has that character and and the multi-groove racing, at least in one and two, that can make it good. So we'll, we'll, we'll see very soon um, in the next month through April to see exactly who's going to be where for at least the first part of this 26 race regular season. But on that note, we want to kind of switch gears. Let's go down under for a bit. I know that you um, didn't really watch um, any of the Supercars opener, but they are back. And I watched on the Superview subscription, and I would recommend anyone go and get it. It's through YouTube. It's $5 a month. You get to watch every single one of the series they have have that come down there. They have a bunch of series. It's not just like a, a secondary series like the Xfinity series. They have... They have their version of that Xfinity series with the Dunlop series. They have uh, they have a muscle car series. They have some Aussie supercar or not supercar. GT86 series, uh, I think. Yeah, they have GT86. Uh, the, these little cars, they, they're kind of like Legends cars. Um, they, they are, they're pretty fun to watch. They have little 1300cc motorcycle engines in them. They're crazy. And they've got a couple more series that come in and out. They have a, a truck series called the Utes and they put on an incredible show. They weren't at the opener, but everything was pretty good this weekend. The racing was a little bit more subpar than we're used to because they were at the Mount Panorama circuit, which is where they hold the Bathurst 1000. Um, that's because they decided to nip the Clipso 500 at Adelaide, which is a street circuit um, that used a modified version of the, the Formula One GP that they used to have in the 80s and early 90s down there um, that put on a hell of a show year after year after year as their season opener, kind of like, you know, the Daytona 500 was always the been the, the grand opening of our sport, also the biggest race, but Clipso had been showing out. They've had fan turnouts of over 250,000 people over the course of the weekend there. It was a little bit unusual to have a more mellow race. Uh, it seemed like Mountain Panorama kind of provided for more lulls and stuff um, because it has pretty much two long straights and they go over the top of the mountain and you really can't go too wide up there. So Shane Van Gisbergen, uh, he, he dominated both races and there wasn't really too, too much drama. Uh, the only thing that really happened that was kind of worth a lot of coverage was in the first of the two races, uh, Tim Slade, um, which is a, a driver who's been in the sport for a little bit, driving for a brand new team, 
uh, was was battling. I think he was in fourth position. Uh, he he had a brake lock up at the most inopportune time and just slammed really hard into a wall coming down the mountain. And that was the end of his day. And that was really emotional for him. You could see the distraught, the disappointment um, in his face. And he kind of had a thousand yard stare um, for just a little bit. And uh, it was a bit disappointing for the whole fan base, I think, because everybody was kind of rooting for him because being not in that new team is kind of an underdog. But that was kind of it for the drama that would have happened. Overall, great racing. If you've never checked out Supercars, go watch some stuff on YouTube. They have full races from all kind of different seasons. Um, you want to check out what stock cars might look at, like at Circuit of the Americas, they have the Circuit of the Americas rounds that they did there. Although it was on the Nationals track, we're doing the full course. So um, that's... That's something you should check out. Um, and Nathan, I don't know if you saw, they had the tire test today mm -hmm. at Circuit of the Americas. Um, what, what did you see on Twitter uh, about that? Because I know I'd seen some stuff from Keselowski and um, Racing and different stuff like that. I didn't really see much besides snippets and videos from some of the drivers. There wasn't a video of like a full lap or anything such as that. But out of the videos I did see, it was – really shocking to see how slow the cars looked because i'm so used to watching f1 there it's like man it looks like it's slow motion yeah and you know what is funny i was gonna say the exact opposite i was gonna say that they looked so much faster in the few clips that i saw than what i was thinking it was gonna be so that's that's kind of funny that you would have the opposite reaction to me because there was a there was a uh clip of I want to say Chase Elliott going through, I, I can't remember the turn numbers, um, right after the S's, that, that really sharp kink in the downhill before you get to the um, the hairpin before the long straight. And he looked like he was flying. And that was something that I didn't think was going to happen. I know the track's wider than most of the road courses we go to because it's FIA grade one, but um, personally I thought they looked faster. Um, but, I mean – you're watching more Formula One than I am, so I guess stock cars can't corner that fast. So they're gonna they're gonna look real slow when we do wind up going down there in May. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how they race, obviously, because they're gonna have a lot more um, opportunities to pass. I would imagine if they're not able to hold it flat out through some corners. Yeah, and um, we we saw uh, a really long racetrack with the road course Daytona and. We had two kind of different races the two times that we've raced there. So I don't know. Um, I hope maybe NASCAR learned from at least a truck race how they need to change their caution procedures. And that kind of moves oh, us on yeah. into our discussion for today. And that's um, kind of how NASCAR has conducted races over time. So it's going to be a little bit of a general overview at first. Um, and then um, we're going to go into different stuff and how it's kind of progressed the racing because I can tell you with utmost certainty, you might think this is a hot take, but the racing that we see nowadays, despite the package changes, despite the driver changes, despite whatever, is the most competitive that we have ever seen due to the way that NASCAR conducts its on-track activity and the rules that they use for officiating racing. So let's go ahead and get into it. So, Nathan, we start the modern era in 
1972. We've got the new point system coming through, and generally we've we've made I guess the race procedure, and it's kind of simplified. You go on green, and then the yellow comes out, and you race to the caution, and that's how it is up until 2004. So there's a lot that I want to talk about of each and kind of nitpick about each little rule and every everything um, going going from 1972 to 2004. But I mean, how do you think the racing was affected with the rules um, from then compared to now? Before we actually get into why it's been affected that way. I think there's a lot less respect in the way drivers race, especially nowadays with points, not really points being given out every stage. And they're not the, you know, you're the ordering of where you are and the points at the end of the year. doesn't really matter as long as you have a win. So there's a lot less, um, there's a lot less self-preservation almost. It's like they're racing just, it's, it's a lot more merciless if that makes any sense. Yeah, and, and what we'll get into in a little bit is that NASCAR's kind of letting that happen. So you see a lot of fields where you've got a leader that's lapping a bunch of cars over and over and over, and and due to the rules, they kind of get trapped um, and stuff like that. So, I mean, do you think personally watching races from before – 2004 which i'll call the the modern era and then after 2004 the postmodern era that you've seen a increase in enjoyability of those newer races versus the older ones i mean it depends they're both enjoyable i wouldn't necessarily say one's more than the other um solely because i think that the officiating procedures for certain things now are better but then again, like always, there's some that aren't that good, such as you mentioning the road course cautions and whatnot. There's some procedures that I really like. There's some I don't. And I think if they were all on the good side, then I would say yes, that the races today are a little more enjoyable from an officiating standpoint. But there's not enough all positive for me to convincingly say that. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's just get right into it, and uh, later you and I can kind of discuss what we think we want to change going forward because I think that might be kind of fun. Um, but the biggest thing to me with the change between the modern and postmodern era of 2004 was racing to the caution. Uh, this is something that they did for almost 40 years, uh, and probably prior to the modern era, I'm not really that far deep into my NASCAR, NASCAR history knowledge. So I'm just going to assume that they ran to the caution flag pre that because the rule was this way for scorers because you couldn't have electronic scoring until later on. So 1972 was when this rule was, was run. So if you didn't watch racing before 2004, um, what would happen is a caution would come out. That would be the yellow flag. Um, maybe there's an incident in turn one and, you know, with spotters, they would say, Hey, there's a caution in turn one. The drivers would try to avoid it. They would race their way to the start finish line and then they would slow down compared to today where we don't do that anymore. The caution comes out, fields frozen, 
Spotters let the drivers know the caution's out. There's lights all around the track. The the yellow flag's out. Everyone slows down. The racing to the caution uh, created a bunch of problems. It it created um, excess crashes because drivers were trying to drive through, I guess you could say just wrecks that were still happening because they were going full speed. They were still racing. Um, the race hadn't, hadn't stopped for the caution period yet. So at tracks like Daytona and Talladega, you've got, you know, maybe more than two miles that you still got to go on your lap. And, you know, you might be in turn one and there's a huge pileup going up turn three and, you know, X, Y, and Z happens. And then your, your day's done because you couldn't avoid a wreck because you were still racing. I guess the end of this was the 2003 season where Dale Jarrett spun in front of the leaders at New Hampshire. And it was almost a full lap back for everyone. And he almost got hit multiple times and he was facing the wrong direction. That was about the last time that NASCAR was like, okay, we're going to stop this. The next season it was a... It, it didn't matter what was going on. The yellow light comes out. Everyone slows down. They go to the last scoring loop. And it ended his fault from there. So, I guess, Nathan, good change is something I guess your opinion is going to be. Um, uh, do you remember those races prior to 2004, being a younger fan? And how did, it, how did you or your family or anyone that you knew that was watching the races, how do they feel when NASCAR changed that? Well, first of all, I guess, obviously, I was way too young to see that live. and My dad didn't really get into racing as much until I got into it. So when I go back and watch races from that time period, I don't really think it's that big of a deal to not race back to the caution. So I'm fine with the change because I don't really see anything to gain from racing back to the caution unless – um unless you're clearly fighting for position, I just don't, I don't think it's worth tearing up a car over, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you've also got the thing that, you know, people might get hurt. So my biggest ordeal with it was how long have we had scoring loops? It predates 2004. Why did we wait so long for something like that? Because it seemed like we were stuck in a rut as far as competition at that point. Because this leads to some stuff that we're going to get into in a, in a bit um, that kind of made the racing a little bit lackluster. But I, I just don't understand why we didn't. You know, you had TV. You had scoring loops. Why did you wait so long? Yeah, I don't understand it either. I think it was almost just a practice. Of, it's It was very unique to the series at the time. So I figured that they would they wanted to kind of keep that as long as they could because of how unique it was. Until they realized that it was just yeah. not safe to continue. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I vividly remember that that New Hampshire race, and I, you know, I was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" When the eighty-eight car was pointing the wrong way on the front straightaway, but you know, being an official, um, even prior to you know scoring loops uh, and transponders that we have on most short tracks nowadays is we would throw the yellow out and all the cars slow down. I don't I don't know exactly when this trend started, but 
it was probably reactive to what NASCAR did. So probably prior to 2003, this wasn't a thing. But of course, I wasn't officiating by then. <laughs> you just give the people the positions they had when they crossed the start-finish line last. And, and that was it. You know, you passed three cars into one before the yellow came out. But you were, you know, you were in fifth and you had gotten to second. Tough diddly, you're back in fifth. So that's at least something that they could have done was, hey, hey, everybody slow down and then we'll put you back where you were the last time you crossed the start-finish line. Um, that's kind of what they do with scoring loops now. Um, and then moment of caution came a little bit later for finishes. So something else that happened during this is this time is that there was a lot of cars that would get lapped during a green flag pit stop. And then an untimely caution would come out, and these guys would not have any sort of way to regain their lap back. And they were just kind of screwed based on the luck of the draw. And that's something, looking back on it from a competition perspective, I had a problem with because really the only thing that NASCAR did for these unfortunate people was line them up on the inside of the lead lap cars so that they had a chance once the once the green flag came back out after caution to pass the leader. Even then, A, you're probably going to get lapped again if you were slower than the leader to begin with, or B, relying on a caution to come out at some of the racetracks that are larger back then was kind of laughable as well as short tracks and stuff like that. It's going to be very hard for you to pass the leader even though you're in the preferred group. So it led to a bunch of jumbled up stuff and I felt that it was also kind of dangerous for maybe not the competitors but <laughs> the health of their cars and and some of the some of the people that were maybe faster um, that were fighting for spots ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. I think that the double file restarts are better for that because it, it doesn't put the lap cars in a dangerous situation. Yeah, and they started that in 2009. That kind of led to a couple more rules and regulations that kind of helped with what I'm talking about with the with the cars always getting stuck on, on a lap down or so during the pit cycle. Um, this kind of boosted competition because now cars weren't good cars, I should say, weren't you know, having to struggle to fight for their lap back or as some of the older fans, you know, get it back like a man that hate these kind of newer rules. They started a a new system with the wave around and the lucky dog. Now, when we were racing to the cautions, um, some drivers had an unspoken rule that if you were close to them and they were the leader, they might let you in front of them before crossing the line for the yellow flag so that you could get your lap back. Well, with this not being a thing anymore, NASCAR put in the lucky dog. So the first car on the lead lap now gets that lap back. And I don't think fans at the time liked it, but over over the years we've gotten used to it and it, it provided... It provided that one more car um, to be in the in the fight if if they had an untimely caution or something like that, put them there. But with the double file, we get the wave around, and it totally changes the game because now if you're in front of the leader but behind the pace car, and you don't pit, um, 
you basically just get your lap back. And if you have successive cautions and and the leader keeps pitting and you're in front of him after the cycle and all that stuff, you can gain multiple laps back fairly quickly. So you being a younger fan, you probably are very used to this because this mm-hmm. would, this would have been probably the time that you, you started watching racing was just when they started doing this. There was some scrutiny about that, but overall it was a extremely exciting to watch because you have now even more ways to get back on the lead lap so that if fortune doesn't go your way, you kind of get back up, um, you know, get you get a gimme from NASCAR to get back up there to, to start fighting for positions again. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the double file restarts leading to the wave around and, you know, NASCAR doing that? Yeah, I like all of it. Double file restarts are obviously, they're my number one pick for best rule change of the modern era just because they kill two birds with one stone. They put the lap cars in a safer place. They make the restarts a little more um, organized. Um, the single file, I thought, was kind of a mess because you would, you know, the leader could check up everyone and get all jumbled up. And yeah. now with the choose rule, it makes it even better because you're able to actually pick where you want to restart. So there's no more arguments about, you know, hi, I was screwed over by this lane or whatever. It's just, it, it makes it better in every way, shape or form, at least for me. And the wave round is good too, just because it makes you know, bad breaks, less of a, a complete race ender, which I like. Well, it also provides a little bit more strategy. And I think you said something um, that kind of got me thinking that it, it makes it a little bit, maybe not safer, but less erratic up front because you've got the cars that are slower in the back again. You know, they're probably going to get lapped again anyway. So why, why have them up there jumbled up with the leaders it's going to provide us, the fans, a better show because we know what's going on and we don't have to worry about why is there two cars in between first and second. And maybe the simplicity of that is is part of it, but also there's no good reason, in my opinion, for those lap cars to be in the way of the fight for the win. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly because if it's a late restart, I mean – Shoot, what was that race at Dover? I think 03 or 04, where the two lap cars got into it and took out like the entire field in turn three. Yeah, and that doesn't that doesn't really happen nowadays. Um, yeah, I'm glad it doesn't because I wouldn't want I wouldn't want a lapped car starting toward the front of the field and driving in over their head. And it just makes it unfavorable for everyone involved. Yeah, and so you know, like I said, what with, with the modern era rules it allowed for people to kind of have an easier way about it because if they could pin a car a lap down because they got lucky with a caution, that was a a threat to them. Especially at a short track or something like Bristol where, you know, you can lose two to three laps when you're pitting. And in an era where pit stops weren't taking 12 to 15 seconds, when they were taking half a minute or more, it, it made the competition much easier for someone when they put their main rivals a couple laps down because there was no way to gain it back. Looking at it now, when I see fans complaining about race uh, after race being boring and this and that, and I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here like, 
you guys really look back at all these races with rose-colored glasses and don't realize that what we have now is something that we should be appreciating because NASCAR has kind of perfected the way that they run a race so that not only do we get the most entertaining race, but the competitors have the best chance at doing well themselves. I, I would agree to some extent. Obviously, yeah, there's some things that they definitely need to work on, such as the caution procedures and the inconsistency there. Um, that's something that's got to be fixed. But other than that, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Everything you mentioned is actually a great thing. The choose cone's been nothing but good. Green-white checkers have been good. Double flower restarts good. Lucky dogs are good. Uh, they, for the most part, the rule changes they made for officiating are far better than the rule changes they make in other areas. Yeah, and you know, me myself, I absolutely love the choose cone. Like you said earlier in the show, it is probably the best rule change that NASCAR has ever done. Um, it, it it got some of the games that were being played unnecessarily on pit road to stop. Now everybody can choose their own destiny. And drivers can kind of slot up, you know, two or three spots if they want to try and bet on themselves in a non-preferred groove on a restart. But you said something earlier, um, or I should say in your last statement, that was they need to fix the caution procedure. So, Well, I didn't um, mean procedure. I meant, like, consistency. I just meant inconsistency. Uh, like, you'll okay. you'll see it. Okay. It's sometimes you have two incidents that are the exact same, and one will bring the caution out, and one will not, and that's what doesn't make sense to me. Okay, um, now, w- would you provide any examples? Because uh, oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are, but I just I can't think of any off the top of my head right now because you just kind of blindsided me with that statement. So okay, well, I guess we'll we'll use um, we'll use the Kansas races from recent years because I remember Kansas 2019. With like 10 laps to go, I think it was the 12, brushed the wall. He was on the apron. He was kind of slow on the apron. He wasn't really a danger to anybody else. But they threw the caution before any debris was even put on the track. Like the carcass was still on the car before they threw it. And then fast forward another year to a very similar incident with Ryan Blaney hitting the wall again in 2020. And they kept it green when he was kind of having the same issue of crawling around an apron it's it's or the richmond race in 2017 uh, Derek cope i mean i don't even think he he brushed the wall and they threw a caution which was crazy right, right before the white flag and that was the same race they threw a caution for matt kenseth locking up his front tires and it's like like you gotta yeah. they have to like be a little more consistent which is like you want it it's hard that it's just hard knowing that sometimes this incident will bring caution out. Sometimes it won't. There's nothing you can do to predict it. I just need predictability. Yeah. And I think you could probably say that for, you know, I guess before the, the stage era that we're in right now. Oh yeah. Uh, with the, the, the breeze caution. Oh my God. Yeah. Stuff like that. Wild. Like I just, I can see where you're coming from with the non-consistency stuff, but we're not really used to NASCAR being consistent in anything. And and one thing about the debris cautions and those cautions that you you say now, well, they've made the, the cars a little bit easier to drive, so wrecks are happening substantially less. And I'm wondering if advertising um, and the TV networks um, 
are, you know, selling advertising at a rate saying, all right, well, cautions are going to happen here, 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 because X, Y, and Z. So probably we need to, we need to pull the trigger as soon as something that even looks remotely like a caution. So I don't know if, I don't know if it's necessarily NASCAR, if they're pressured from TV, because we see the swing that TV has, you know, with Fox saying, you know, let's do a dirt race at Bristol. That was their idea. And NBC is the reason that we have stages. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'm defending NASCAR here, but I don't know that it's totally NASCAR's fault. I would say that's something that they got to cut out because we already look like a joke to a bunch of other motorsports fans, anyways. Um, but yeah, I can remember um, there was a Martinsville race a couple of years ago where one of the back markers drove just above the strip of concrete in turns three and four and slowed down just a little bit. And that was a caution. And uh, I, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how to defend something like that. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Sometimes during that area you mentioned with the debris cautions, it was so out of hand. I don't know any other words that can describe it besides that. You'd, you'd have just out of nowhere three cautions just to set up a good finish and i was like how would you feel if your driver was leading and that happened it wouldn't feel good would it well no and um and that was something that fans complained about a lot back then i myself included um and i think it was because nascar was trying to spice things up that kind of leads us into the special rules topics that we have that nascar does um that you don't see anywhere else so leading into making the racing more entertainment you see the stages now and you see them, you know, you automatically are going to have a stop here and you're automatically going to stop, you know, at this distance a little bit later. So now we've got two mandatory cautions that we know we're going to get paid points and we're going to re-wreck them. So the initial thought was that debris cautions were going to go away. And I think from my perspective, they have. Um, do you think it was a good compromise to the fans that, we weren't getting these fake debris cautions anymore, but now we have a total stoppage of of racing for really no good reason. That's tough. Um, I guess I would say this way. I'm not a huge fan of stage cautions, um, but then again, I, I almost understand it just because the way that rules package is now, if they didn't have stage cautions, I honestly... Yeah, so it's a Band-Aid that's not... Fixing the problem of the it's so hard to spin the cars out these days. There's not as much. Um, there's not as much reliability issues or handling issues anymore. To where everything is such a controlled environment these days that they're probably saying, "Look, we don't think our drivers are going to do anything to spice it up, so we're going to have to do it ourselves." Like, that's what I almost interpret it as. The racing. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean, that's something that we kind of knew might be coming. You know, we kind of alluded to it. I want to say it was, what, 2016 in the truck series? We had the most obscure rule and the dumbest thing that NASCAR has ever done, in my opinion, and that was the caution clock. I remember being at Atlanta, the second race of the season, and just seeing a timer right below the lap counter on the screens, and I didn't even know what the point of racing was was at that point um because you could build up a nine second lead and know that 15 minutes from now that's going to be gone 
And that's kind of where I'm at with stage cautions. Yeah. So yeah, how, how did you feel about the caution clock? Oh, my gosh. That was – oh, my gosh. I don't want to say anything too bad, but there's nothing really nice to say about it. That yeah. has to be the most – that has to be the most illegitimate, convoluted rule in the history of racing. I cannot think of anything that was so blatant and so wrong – to where they're like, okay, if you guys don't crash for 20 minutes, you get a caution. Like, then what's the point of racing for more than 20 minutes, right? Right. It doesn't make any sense to to do that. It's so, it's so, everything about that is just, it goes against racing in general. Yeah, and um, I just caught myself because I was going to say about that, you know, might as well just throw cautions and end in the race at certain points and just make them different races. So <laughs> that's essentially what happened with stages anyways. I mean, we progressed to that anyways. Um, I think you and I have discussed this before about especially the fact that NASCAR say that they do things and they want to be consistent time after time again. They show that they're not consistent nearly ever. And then one of the things that I wanted to say about is that there are special rules for special races. So we saw the choose cone come in last year and they said, we're going to use this at every racetrack on the schedule. That's not a road course or a former plate track. So Daytona, Talladega and all the road courses. So my question to NASCAR is, okay, you want the cautions for the intermediate tracks because they're quote unquote boring first answer to that for me is fix the cars. That's not going to happen. So second answer to me would be if you've got special rules at these special racetracks, why can't we do that there too? So I know we had alluded to this conversation, you know, after the Daytona road course, but let's talk about what NASCAR can do to fix itself with road racing procedure because right now they're blowing it and they're blowing it big time and they can't be doing that because we got seven races on the schedule yeah i agree wholeheartedly i think that if they're able to change the choose cone rules depending on the track then why don't they change the stage caution rules because it's clear that the cautions for the stages are detrimental to the strategy of the road races with how they plan out so I don't see the reason why they can't change it up because they change things week by week enough already. So why not do it again? Yeah. I mean, you've got two different horsepower packages depending on the race way. So, you know what, if, if it were even up to me, I would say that, you know, we could change it any, anywhere with a 750 package. We don't, we don't need a caution for the stages. You don't want to know why, because you're going to get cautions at Darlington. You're going to get cautions mm-hmm. at, at Dover. You're going to get cautions at Bristol, all of the all short places. tracks. Like, I, I don't know. I get why they've got cautions. They want more ad breaks. But you know what? You're showing me 15 laps and then going to a break Virtual on a short track yeah. anyways. There's like, no difference. You know? So what, I don't see what the difference is. And another thing with with the road racing, we sort of discussed this with the truck race at the at the road course at Daytona. They need to learn how to use local yellows and they need to learn how to use wiki quickie full course yellows oh my gosh Other i cannot agree more 
I mean, you're an F1 fan. You know, they yeah. have multiple different procedures for caution. So I don't know if you want to explain, because, you know, probably a lot more of our audience is going to be geared towards NASCAR. You know, kind of explain the different procedures that Formula One does that make their races not have all these stop and go points. Well, obviously, even though sometimes F1 races, you'll see they will throw a full safety car for something that doesn't necessarily warrant it for you can interpret that as entertainment reasons too so they're not perfect but the thing that makes them so good along with other road course series if a car retires and they pull off the track to where there's a a gap in the guardrail to where the officials can push it back behind the wall they don't usually throw a safety car for that if it's out of harm's way they will throw they will either have a local yellow or they will have what's called a virtual safety car which is they reduce their pace by a certain percentage and they have what they call a Delta between each car. And it's their job to reduce their pace to the percentage they want and keep the same Delta to the cars ahead or behind them. So it's essentially like there's no safety car on the track. You're just being told to slow down and keep your distance to prevent marshals from getting hit and whatnot. So, right. And, and on dirt short track ovals, everyone that I've worked at, you you don't have a pacing vehicle, like at all. You don't have a safety car, pace car, whatever you want to call it. You don't have it at all. So the drivers kind of govern themselves to stay slow and, and, and go around and around and around um, while we've got people on the track. So do you think something like that would be beneficial for NASCAR, a virtual safety car? We've got digital dashboards in the Cup Series. We could put something like that in the Xfinity and Trucks to have a little panel that says maybe even just a green, yellow, and red light to show that if you're in the yellow, you're good, or you're you're on the brink. Um, if if you're in the red, you're you're too fast or something like that. I mean, how would you feel about NASCAR doing something similar? Because they've got live timing and scoring. Um, they know how fast the cars are going, how far they are apart. Um, what do you think about doing that to kind of quickly get up stuff that we know we don't need cautions for? Yeah, you also see local yellows with F1, which say if a car spins out, they'll have a yellow flag in that particular corner, but they will not throw a complete virtual safety car or safety car. So I think if NASCAR could have a way to do that, say if someone's spun in one of the corners and gets gets going again, you should, they should definitely look at throwing a local caution or whatnot or double wave yellows, just something that the drivers have to stay cautious in that corner. But other than that, they can, they can go about normal business. I mean, do you think that, you know, I, I don't know if, if stuff like a pit limiter or something like that might be coming in the future because that would piss off NASCAR fans, but they are kind of progressing into the, I guess mm -hmm. modern day motorsports. I mean, I wouldn't um, really uh, being completely honest. I wouldn't mind the pit limiter just because I think that the only reason why there is no pit limiter is for entertainment. I think that's very clear and obvious because they want the I drama mean, of, Oh wow. Who, who didn't, you know, who's going to get penalized on pit road. I remember Mike joy literally said once find out who got caught speeding after the commercial break. Like if that isn't, a clear message i don't know what else is because if they cared that much about just safety then they would have a pit limiter by now yeah but i think they could use that technology without having it in the pits 
right? Because you've got the virtual safety car like you're talking about where they have to keep the Delta and stuff. But let's say we have a we have a pace car speed limit at each track and they put out a a not a full course yellow but maybe you know a virtual yellow we'll we'll just use the same terminology as as formula one let's say they do that and and all the drivers have to slow down within a certain amount of time like they would a regular caution and they put on the limiter and it's only for this caution would you would you agree with that oh boy i wouldn't mind it i it's a little confusing but then again I think that the pit limiter would be enough of a step for me. I'm not sure how it would work with other things like that, like a full caution limiter, but just give me a pit limiter and I'll be happy. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm one of those fans that don't want a pit limiter. Like that's one thing that I do like about NASCAR. Are you saying like it's entertainment? Well, yes, right. it is very guess, entertaining to me. I guess you could Even say that. Right. I guess you could say that. I guess you could say that it's not that I don't need, they don't necessarily don't, it's not that I want the limiter. It's that I wouldn't feel different about it. Like I wouldn't, I don't watch the race to see what happened, who speeds on pit road. I think that if your rules package is entertaining enough, you shouldn't have to fall back on pit road as being your main source of entertainment. You know, it should be about the pit gotcha. crews and what, and whatnot and whether or not you get through pit road without any incident. That should be the, the entertainment part from pit road standpoint. I understand where you're coming from, but I don't know. It's the whole thing is entertainment. And entertainment, entertaining to me, especially in a green flag pit stop, because when I'm watching green flag pit stops, if I see a driver come in too hot, or I hear that he was too fast in section eight of pit road, that gets my, you know, I'm rubbing my hands together, I'm, I'm scuffling my feet, I'm doing a little shuffle because I'm excited because something just happened that wasn't necessarily supposed to happen, and it might have been a guy that was rattling off the fastest laps of the race and we've got a new leader the precision needed on pit road to me would be lost in having that pit limiter technology so i I don't know that i would want nascar to do that but you know i think something that that we've we've kind of hit on right now is is controversy um and stuff that nascar is not really doing well so i kind of want to ride that so there's some other rules um that we see that are kind of special to certain tracks. And this one is probably the one with the biggest hot take. Um, and that is whether or not the double yellow line rule needs to apply. And so, you know, if you're new to NASCAR, the double yellow line rule is basically at Daytona and Talladega. Those are our biggest tracks. Those are the ones that provide pack racing. You cannot pass below that line. And I want to say they put it in, um, in the, in the, early 2000s to prevent wrecks from happening. And I don't agree with that rule at all. And we've already seen controversy with it. You know, the Regan Smith incident in cup. And so, this is a fun one. So, so yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that, Nathan? Oh, we've never man. talked about it with each other. I've always been the type that would want the drivers to police themselves. But I also think that with the way they race in this package, I don't think that they would be able to police themselves. I think that they're too, they're not intelligent enough when they rate the way they race on these tracks to be able to do that. You know, I, I feel like with how they race, say I'm not naming names, but there are some very aggressive drivers. I would expect say one of them to go four or five wide on the apron. And then the problem hits when you've made it to turn three or turn one and you have to merge back up onto the track. My concern is someone 
it's the drivers not having enough respect for one another to let them back on the track. I feel like someone would go five wide down there and then try to, when they try to merge back up, no one will let them in and then they would all wreck. It wouldn't be an issue if the drivers race with respect, but I don't trust the drivers to race with that level of respect to let one another back on the track. You know, until, until I heard your argument for why that role needs to stay, I was on the point of it needs to go, but that's because I feel like the drivers would kind of know abuse that it. they're going to, uh, well, not, not really abuse it. I, I mean, to me, I don't know that it needs to be there, you know, personally, because, right. you know, racing is racing. Um, people are going to make stupid moves and it's going to ruin the race for somebody else. We talked about that at the top of the show, but the drivers can police themselves outside of the cars by saying you know what they need to to said driver and i know which driver you're talking about i'm sure everyone knows that's listening oh there's more than one there's more than one (laughs) there's there's one the the second one is not really as relevant as he used to be um right um right if if i if i think i know where you're going with Mm -hmm. that um Maybe there's a new one emerging with another one that we had a couple issues with last year. Like you said, we don't want to name names. We don't want to make enemies yet. We're not big enough for that. <laughs> yeah. If the if the general consensus was of the other 33 drivers, I'm, I'm using the Charter 36, that, that they're not going to do some stupid shit like that. Um. I think it would be a rule that would be really unnecessary. But now to mention it with those those particular drivers, what we saw, you know, in the past super speedway race with what happened at the end of it, I think I think you're on to the fact that NASCAR might be have have been in the right for keeping the, the rule. But personally, I'd like to see it gone just to see the officiating, not yeah. the yeah a problem coming especially yeah. through the travel at Talladega. That's I think where, that that's where be, most of the right, uh, stuff is. Right. But I also bad. think that it's a matter of, I think the reason the yellow line rule was not an issue back, not having the yellow line back in the day was not an issue is because of how respectful they were. They were, they were letting one another back on the track, which is really like with how the drivers race today. I feel like drivers would block one another below the line. And then when it's time to blend back onto the track, one of the drivers would say, you know, screw you, I'm not letting you back on the track. And that's when wrecks happen. I think that I would only like the rule, I would only like them to remove the yellow line if the drivers are respectful enough to make good use of it. But as of now, I haven't seen enough from the drivers to make make me believe that they'd be able to handle it. Well, it's like what it's, we discussed last right. week. Right, it's not an issue of no, it's not an it's not an issue of lack of skill. I think it's just an issue of lack of respect. Yeah, you hit on that really good uh, last week with our talks on wrecks and the complacency of drivers um, at these speedway packages because of the safety of the cars. So I don't know that we're going to get that back. That respect, uh, we talked about it last week, is kind of just a, an old-fashioned thing. And it's entertaining at, at some point, but it also causes some to really big controversies on the other side of the racetrack because i've i've seen people discuss not having that 
rule be applied on the last lap? Well, it was applied on the last lap of the 500. We still had the wreck that we had. We still had the wreck that we had on the 15th lap of the 500. You know, um, so I think the legitimacy of the rule is going to be thrown completely out if you say, well, if you're going through the trial from the restart zone to the start-finish line at Talladega, you can go below the yellow line. I think that's going to be a thing. The, the thing that is the biggest part and the most polarizing part of this rule is the fact that there's always a judgment call. And I think they need to either make this a concrete line thing where if you go below the line, period, doesn't matter if you're pushed or not, you get penalized or or, or they just don't need to have the rule at, at, at all. Because for me, I'm, I'm not really looking at it towards a safety thing. I'm looking at it towards a legitimacy of who just won the race sort of thing. Because the Regan-Smith incident... Uh, where they handed that one to Tony Stewart, probably changed the course of his career. Just a, it's a touchy topic, and it, I don't know how to say it other than that. Uh, whatever I said previously is probably the most intellectual way that I'll be able to put it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess the only other thing um, that's that's kind of evolved over time uh is well overtime so nascar does overtime now and it's unlimited attempts but previously we had the three green white checkered rule and then we had the probably worst iteration of overtime that we ever had with the overtime line so kind of take me through your eyes and your feelings as a fan from the first time the word green white checkered gets mentioned through the overtime line, through nowadays we have unlimited attempts because I've probably got a lot different, um, I guess maybe more old school things to say about it. I honestly, I like the green white checkered from a NASCAR perspective. Um, obviously, even though it's a purist, yes, it is extending the lap count of a race. It's not the most pure thing. I will be more than glad to admit that, but. I enjoy that factor of the race because you know it's not the most pure thing, but it's not so impure to where it like ruins the purity of the sport. If that makes any sense, it's not like a a game breaker. And that's like I can it's a gimmick I can live with, and it's a gimmick that I've actually okay. not disliked at all. I've learned to like it. So okay, yeah. Well, uh, I find it entertaining. I. I look at stuff like this past year's Indy 500 ending, ending under caution and being right. really respectful of that. Yeah, um, I respect I, that too. I honestly wouldn't I wouldn't mind something like that happening because I think the green-white checkered attempts personally was okay when it was capped at three green-white checkers because you knew you were going to have two to three laps under caution, right. one to two that laps makes more under sense. green flag. So you could strategize to it. Now with the unlimited stuff, you know, we can keep going and keep going and keep going. So that's one going to, that's going to screw people who don't have enough fuel, who might've had enough fuel for three attempts, but not four who, you know, run out of tires because they keep coming down pit road for tires or, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't depends on the racetrack. Um, and it just unnecessarily jumbles up people that might not come down to pit road because they choose to, because they've only got two laps to make, make it happen to where we have even more overtimes for no reason because 
someone decided they were going to stay out. Um, an example I can think of is Daniel Suarez's win in Xfinity for the championship when uh, it was the number 13 car. I do not remember who was driving it that night. Um, stayed out and slowed everybody up and allowed, you know, that to happen for Daniel Suarez. Not saying that he's not deserving of the championship because he wholeheartedly was. He was probably one of the two or three best cars that season, and he did what he had to do. But there should be no reason that it is possible for that scenario to be able to break someone's race because somebody stayed out front on old tires. Yeah, I understand that, especially. I don't agree with what they're doing there. It's just like, it's just part of it. It's like, it's it's just part of the, I hate to use the word show and race, and so I'm not going to use it. So it's not optimal. But then again, it's part of, if you're going to have a gimmick, then there's going to be stuff that's kind of shady. And I, I guess it's part of it. Yeah, and and I can get with it a little bit, but. I went to the Talladega race that was the longest Talladega race ever. Might have been the longest NASCAR race ever. And I can tell you that they had more than three green-white checkers, and it was agonizing to sit in the stands for those caution periods over and over and over, despite the fact that it was a fun race to be at. You know, If it were me, I would say NASCAR, hey, Let's bring it back to three attempts. Just just from a competition perspective, I think that let's say you wanna you wanna save yourself enough fuel for those green white checkered attempts. You can maybe pit a little bit later on your last cycle, and now the cream is still rising to the top, and you don't have that winner that shouldn't have won, a la Cole Custer at Kentucky. You know, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away anything from the guy, but he shouldn't have won that race. That's just one of those rules that I feel is there just for the sake of entertainment. And I understand it and I get excited when it's happening. But every time that I look at a race in hindsight, I do not like it. I, that's part of it I don't like. But then again, if you're going to have green, white checkers, you're going to have stuff like that. So there's nothing really, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You're right. Well, at least we don't have the overtime line anymore. So that caused all issues uh, when itself. I mean, technically we still do with the white flag, but you know, that is what it is. So before we kind of wrap up our rules and regulations um, topic today, what, what kind of ideas do you think NASCAR should look at for officiating in the future? We've talked about, Getting rid of stage cautions at the road courses. Road courses, yeah. And I've thought about that for super speedway racing uh, as well myself. Um, but moving forward, I mean, what sort of things do you think NASCAR could do to make the competition even better? Just like you said, I think road course. If they're trying to focus this much on road courses, they're going to have to to change the way they officiate to improve the product there. They can't have the. They can't bring the same mentality that they used to bring when they had two recourses. They have to. They have to change what they're doing to better suit that track. Like, like no stage cautions, local cautions, all that kind of stuff. It has to be done 
with an emphasis on how you're going to make those races better because you can't put so much emphasis on a road race or a schedule full of road races and not do the best you can to make sure they're good races. Yeah, and the problem that we have, you talk about the two road courses that we used to have. It was Sonoma and Watkins Glen. They're relatively short racetracks, relatively large lap counts um, in regards to some of the tracks that we're going to, like Circuit of the Americas, like Road America, like the Daytona Road Course even. They could have the same mentality that they have currently, in my opinion, if they didn't have the stage cautions. I think the fact that the natural race isn't really possible with that leads to the fact that we're going to have cautions after cautions after cautions. And they want that. And we know they want that. We we know that they want cars stacked on top of each other wrecking. But we saw with that truck race that I keep alluding back to, it is boring as hell to watch an hour and 45 minutes of caution laps for a race that should have been done in an hour and a half. Yeah. Just not fair. Although I don't agree with, I don't think the times that much of an issue for me, but the lap count for everyone checker is. Well, I mean, I'm probably going to watch each race de- yeah. despite knowing, knowing that the rules are probably going to make it go on for eons or at least feel yeah. like it because there's not really action going on. But I mean, my point wasn't, you know, that the race should have only been an hour and a half long. I've got stuff to do today. I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, we're looking at cut races. They usually last from three to four hours. I, I don't see if we're having multiple cautions for, let's say, let's say Saturday the Americas. Um, we're going down the hill to to the hairpin before the back straightaway or, you know, the turn after the back straightaway. And each time we go, we, we don't even make it a full lap because you've got cars going off. Stage cautions, I, don't, I haven't looked at them, but let's say that they're doing 12-lap stages and then, you know, a 24-lap final stage. NASCAR's procedures are... Lead lap cars, lap cars, rack them up, go green. That's at least four laps, at the very minimum four laps. They've got to they've got to do something because four laps is a third of a twelve lap stage, and I'm gonna assume that we're looking at seven to ten minutes per caution lap at a at a road course that long. Um. And then you've got the fact that, well, at the end of the stage, you're going to have all those laps too. So they need to get rid of those stage cautions. And I also think that something that they do at, at some of the ovals is they need to have quick yellows, standard yeah. for road course. And not, not, you should not ever have two laps for pitting at a road course because of the just the lap count. Yeah, so I think we've had a pretty good discussion, you know, about the rules in NASCAR, why that they are good or bad, you know, in our opinions, and how they've progressed the sport uh, a little bit. Um, but, you know, we've got some races coming up this weekend. We're gearing up our West Coast swing. Of course, we're a little short this year because Auto Club is not happening, but we're we're going to hit Phoenix, and this week before that, we will be at Las Vegas. Another mile-and-a-half track, traditionally pretty good racing 
But I think most exciting about this weekend is that after their week off, the trucks are going to be back. And with an entire field of camping world paint schemes. Right. And uh, how, <laughs> how do you even feel about that, man? Marcus Limonis, um, I've seen some differing views on Twitter of, of some people saying, oh, well, he's devaluing the, the amount of money that it costs to sponsor a full truck. But at the same time, the man is pumping money into NASCAR like right. it's his favorite pastime. Like he's got, he's got the truck series since I want to say 20, 2011. Um, took over from Craftsman with Camping World, then went to Gander, and now back to Camping World. Um, he was on the 33 car for KHI for a good bit there um, with Ron Arsenal, Horner Gay and some other drivers. Nationwide yeah. cars. And, yeah, this guy's everywhere. Yeah. He's all over the sport, and, you know, I, I'm loving it. Um, I, I don't know um, – I'm guessing that they're all going to be different paint schemes, but it's going to be hard to see um, who's who in a sea of blue and yellow this weekend. I'm looking right. forward to it, though. You know, uh, these guys might be able to compete just a little bit more because maybe they're not getting enough money to buy new components, but that fifteen thousand dollars is going to be able to buy new tick, new sticker tires. Um, yeah. You know, so personally, you know, having a personal connection with with some of the drivers out there. Um, through my dad, you know, guys like Jordan Anderson, um, um, has spoken about how his dad will, or someone else on the crew will go buy tires after practice, you know, um, so that they've got extra sets and they don't have to buy stickers. Of course, practice isn't a thing right now, so that's not really helping them out, but but that little bit's going to go a long way. And Marcus Limonis is getting so much publicity for it. We're talking about it. Everyone's talking about it on Twitter. And I'm sure it's going to be topic of conversation on race day and throughout the whole night of the truck broadcast. Yeah. I think that what he's doing is actually really smart because I heard from someone on Twitter saying that the amount of money he's shelling out to sponsor five or 10 trucks is still less than it costs to sponsor a high-end cup car. So he's essentially for his marketing he's getting he's guaranteeing himself tv time because there's going to be like five or ten trucks with his name on it and he's doing it for the same price as it would for one cup car so it's i mean it's absolutely genius from his standpoint oh oh most definitely and um you know i hadn't even thought about it you know if there's enough trucks out there every shot might have one of his in it so um, that, that, that's going to be good for the brand. And, you know, I'm not in the market for an RV yet. Um, I hope to be sometime soon, but, um, yeah, there's, there's not been this much emphasis on the sport by a sponsor in a very long time. And I'm here for it. Um, mm -hmm. but moving on to Saturday, we're going to have the Xfinity series, uh, back to back mile and a half for them and cup. Um, we saw a spectacular race. We talked about it earlier in the show. Um, are you expecting something similar out of that package for them uh, out west? Uh, do we see a Noah Gragson resurgence at his home track? Do we see him win in front of his home crowd? Um, what are you looking forward to for the Xfinity Series? I'm looking forward to the fact that as the last few years have gone on, 
Vegas as a track has seemed to age out very nicely. Um, over the last couple of years, it's been the grooves have gradually started to widen out to where you can you can run up next to the wall in Vegas now. You couldn't really do that five or six years ago, but you can do it now, and you can move around quite a bit as the surface gets older and older and older. So I think with Xfinity cars, I don't see how that's going to be a bad thing because they put on a great race as is. So putting them on a multi-group track is probably going to be very exciting from a green flag racing standpoint. Yeah, and those cars right now are just, I guess, perfection in NASCAR or stock car racing standards because they've got enough horsepower to be fast and have off-throttle time. They've got low enough downforce to make the drivers wiggle in the corners, have to manhandle them, um, be able, but also be able to um, ride the rim around tracks that allow it. And, we, of course, we saw that with the 4 and 5 wide racing um at homestead but later on in the runs you would see guys who were running low line quicker um up front and then later on you'd see the guys running the high line quicker and it was just a whole thing and and xfinity you just extrapolates that and then they they also have composite bodies now for the past couple years so when you when you hit the wall, which they're gonna do a lot at tracks like Homestead, hopefully if they get towards the wall, you, you see some stripes on the cars here in Vegas. We know we we see it at Darlington. They they don't crunch the cars up enough to be able to slice the tires and we get to see we get to see guys rubbing the fence and keep it going. And I think that's crazy to me and I and I can't wait for that next year in Cup with the composite bodies. That's probably one of the best things that they've ever done. Because you remember Darlington last year with Hamlin and Chastain. They were bouncing off the wall every two laps, and they kept they, they didn't have any damage. Yeah, and everything just pops right back out. Or, I thought that was or, crazy. And it's like, you know, in Cup, they probably would have for sure, they would have for sure had to come to pit road or pull out a tire rub. Yeah, and the way that the sheet metal peels back on the Cup cars, it's so easy, especially with the package that they're running at these tracks. If you... If you nick the wall just a little bit, it curls just enough. I mean, you might lose two or three mile an hour down the straightaway. So I, I, I don't know. I just love that Xfinity package, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, it showing its its hand on on Saturday night. Um, but the Cup Series, we're going to another mile and a half. It's got some high standards to hit because of what we just witnessed at Homestead. Um, it's a later afternoon race for us over here on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, I don't think it'll be getting too dark at the end of the race. So it's hot. It's in the desert. It's slick. The track is aging, like you said. You're you're starting to see the the groove widen, but I don't know if the Cup cars can handle riding the rim because it's not necessary. They can definitely they can get closer to the wall with Vegas aging out like it did, but then again, the 550 package it's not it's probably not going to be like the end-all, be-all. You can run a few lanes off the wall and still be fast. So, leaves us my 10 cents on it. I think that what it is with that package, it's not as, um, you're not as, like, on the edge, per se. But I'm just thankful we're going to a track like Vegas where multiple grooves can make a 550 race still decent. Well, I mean, yeah, the last couple of races, even though we've had this package, have been have been fairly decent, if not great. Um, 
I don't think we're going to see a surprise winner like we did with Kurt Busch last year uh, again. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me that the momentum for these um, stereotypically, at least over the last few years, smaller Ford teams coming up. So I'm going to be looking to see speed from the 34, the 17, and the 6 continue. And I really want to see what, what guys like the 9 and 48 can do because they've been kind of off the pace and off maybe not really off the pace, but kind of off on pit road or their luck has been kind of bad these last couple of weeks. So I want to see if, if maybe Homestead was just another one of those lulls, or if this is something that we're going to have to worry about for the rest of the season. Cause you know, Penske's Penske's pretty much got the Vegas track down pack. So I'm not sure that uh, they're going to be in that same boat as maybe the nine and the 48 are. Well, with that being said, let's get into our picks. I believe that you picked Hamlin. He ended up 11th. I picked Blaney. He ended up, I want to say, 29th. I think he had some sort of contact yeah. with Almirola when he was kind of languishing in the teens anyway. So yeah, that's with what, that yeah, being said, you, with that being said, we're going to have to do our picks. And without further ado, let's get straight into it. Who's your pick? I mean, hey, I kind of warned you that Blaney was – Going to have bad luck. I called it, and I wound up beating you with Denny Hamlin. So I'm going to take a step from from Denny Hamlin. I'm going to multiply his number by two. And I think I'm going to go with the Penske teammate of Ryan Blaney, and that is Joey Logano. I think he is statistically, you know, Penske's best driver. I think that... He and Brad are fairly decent um, at mile and a half, but but they have pretty much dominated Las Vegas in the past few years, and I think I think Joey's going to come out with his first one of the season this weekend. Okay, that's a good pick. Um, I'll go a little different this time. I'm going Alex Bowman because I think mm-hmm. in the Vegas race that Logano won last time around, he was probably the strongest car. But the late caution kind of jumbled everything out, and Logano got the lead via pit strategy and never looked back. And then Vegas 2, he and Hamlin were leading quite a bit of that race, and towards the very end, they had made their final green flag pit stop, and Bowman was sort of chopping away into Hamlin's gap, and then another caution comes out, which gives Kurt Busch the lead. So I feel like, provided nothing out of the ordinary happens. I think Bowman will have one of the better cars straight on straight up speed to win the race. It might not age well. There might be cautions and bad luck like last time, but I'm just going to pick based on straight up speed. And that's why I'm going Alex Bowman. Okay. Well, I, I think you might, you might be providing me some good competition with my pick, um, especially if we have a traditional race kind of like we did this past weekend. And Hendrick put the 24 out front for 109 laps at Homestead. Um, Probably if Alex Bowman gets a lick of clean air and the cautions don't really fall to his dismay, it might be another one of those that, you know, he can walk away from. Um, Mm-hmm. He's good at 550 tracks. He's he's good at tracks with older surfaces. You know, he's won at Chicagoland. He's won at Auto Club. 
Um, so, you know, this is right off his wheelhouse. So I'm a little scared by your pick, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go with the 2-2 to try and bring me 2-2 two and two <laughs> with you. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a fun year of picks because um, – yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm just hoping that maybe for the first time our picks will not be settled on whoever doesn't wreck, you know, as have been the last three weeks. Yeah, well, hopefully we don't have to continue saying that next week. Yeah, because <laughs> you said that last week with the eleven and the twelve, right? So I don't think anyone planned for that. No, um, but you know, we're we're kind of in the more traditional part of the schedule so i think everything's gonna you know lean towards a little bit of normalcy i don't know if we'll see another kind of surprise-ish winner going forward i mean not saying that the 24 was kind of a surprise but it was it was not the hendrick car we were all looking to win first you know we all Definitely. thought it was going to be the nine cars yeah, so it's going to be fun this weekend to watch what's going on, and um, it's also going to be fun next weekend. We're going to have our first guest on the show, Colton Cranmore. Um, he's recently co-hosted a Chairgating Podcast uh, with Rattlesnake, and we're looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have with him. Um, we're going to let you guys and ourselves get to know him a little bit, and then we're going to dive deep into some more fan fuel because that's what we do here. We fuel topics about motorsports and uh nathan and i cannot wait to have him on the show um so if you want to be featured on the show whether it's joining us for a podcast recording session or just saying something that we can make in light for uh one of our subjects uh follow us at twitter um at fan fuel podcast one that's a capital F, a capital F, and a capital P with the number one at the end, Fan Fuel Podcast One. Um, we are streaming on Spotify currently and under review for Apple Podcasts, so that should be coming within the next couple of days. So in our uh, spit, it's in our damn, I forgot how to talk right there. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks.